Good morning, Church of the Beloved. Okay, I'm going to tell you the truth. I just ran from downstairs to let some folks into the building, and uh, my mask would not come off my face, so I just need a second to breathe. Anyway, good Easter morning to everyone. Uh, Happy Resurrection Sunday, Church of the Beloved. Uh, There's a uh, common call and response or greeting among Christians typically used on Easter Sunday. One person will proclaim, he is risen, and the fellow sisters or brothers in Christ will respond with, thank you, yes. Uh, And I I love this tradition. I think it's amazing. It's a cool tradition, but one of the things I believe is that it's beneficial not to continue a tradition just for tradition's sake, but to understand the origin, the rationale for it. So I wanted to just spend a minute to give you a little bit of that origin story of this phrase, in case you didn't know it. Now, a lot of folks believe that it's either from uh, Mary Magdalene. She was facing Emperor Tiberius, and she proclaimed, Christ is risen. There's others who believe that it is based on something that two followers of Jesus uh, proclaimed when Jesus revealed himself to these two on the road to a town called Emmaus. Now, once these two realized that they had been walking and talking with the resurrected Jesus, they ran to the disciples. Uh, And you can read in Luke 24 that they proclaim, Christ has risen indeed. Now, whether it's because of Mary or because of these two disciples, this phrase, he is risen, he is risen indeed, it became the Easter acclamation or uh, the Paschal greeting. Paschal is the Latinization of Pesach. And Pesach is Hebrew uh, for Passover, which is when Christ was resurrected from the dead, when that happened. So out of an abundance for, of hope, for, for joy and amazement, Mary and these disciples, they could not contain themselves. And, and they just had to proclaim, He is risen. And Christians everywhere respond with the same truth, which is... Thank you very much, X. Absolutely. Anyway, again, I want to thank you all for joining us here in person, uh, as well as for those of you who are joining us online. There's Just as a reminder, every Thursday, we'll be sending out an opportunity for you to register and sign up to attend in person at Cervantes here, 31 West Ohio, uh, in-person service, in real life. It's a limited capacity, so you do have to register to attend. This is how we're managing our our COVID protocols. And you do have to be here by 9.45 so that I'm not running upstairs right before I start preaching. So it would be really helpful if you could. Um, There are more details about the expectations and restrictions. They're all online. If you're not getting those emails, um, check your spam or sign up. COTB, uh, text COTB to 97000, go to our website, cotb.life, email info at cotb.life. And I'm going to repeat this, because I, I know that people don't always hear. Church of the Beloved is reopening its doors. It's at one location with a limited cap- capacity for one service. So if you're wanting to be here in real life, please look for that email. It's going to go out every Thursday to our beloved congregation. Sign up. We'd love to have you here. It's actually really cool to see people in the audience, which is hard to do because the lights are right in my face. But anyway, before we get into today's passage for this Resurrection Sunday, I want to take a moment to pray, to dedicate this message to God, that it be beneficial to all of you who are 
listening and that it be glorifying to God who's watching. Will you pray with me? Precious Father, beloved Son of God, our loving helper, Holy Spirit, I come to you. We come to you in humble adoration. For Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. And because of this, we are able to proclaim that one day, together, we will reign with you for all eternity. And so may the words of my mouth be a conduit of your truth and a benefit to all those who are here and all those who are hearing. In the name of the risen Son of God, I pray. So um, I have to ask, have you ever heard or, or had something that you were so sure about, something you really believe with all your might, suddenly turn out to be wrong? I'm going to give an example. I'm going to start quoting the lyrics of a very well-known song, and I want you to try to finish it for me. The lyrics are, hi-ho, hi-ho. Uh, thank you. Yeah, some actually sang it, but yes. Uh, I'm guessing for those of you who are listening and those of you here who are in person said it out loud, thank you for that. It's, you're saying it's off to work we go. It's from Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs if you're not familiar. What if I were to tell you the actual line is hi-ho, hi-ho, it's home from work we go. It turns out that that part of the song is sung by the dwarves as they finish off their job in the diamond mines and they're starting to head back happily home from work. So it's hi-ho, hi-ho, it's home from work we go. You can look it up. Here's another one. Of course, it's going to be a Star Wars one because, you know, it's me. Uh, C-3PO is an android, uh, and most people understand C-3PO is to be fully gold, right? But the truth is, it's been there from the very beginning. He's always had a silver light. Now, if you watch the movie or you look at pictures, it's going to be really hard to recognize that silver leg because it's so reflective. And so it would reflect the gold from his other leg, it would reflect the sand, so you can never tell. But it's always been silver. And the whole reason for the silver leg was to subtly make a point that C-3PO had a past, had an unknown history, a fascinating life. But the silver leg was just too subtle, so... As a side note, J.J. Abrams decided in the reboot in episode 7 that he was going to give C-3PO a red arm instead to make it really obvious that he had a past. Now, some of you might be familiar with these examples. They're often cited um, when discussing something called the Mandela Effect. It's a phenomenon that results in a vast majority of people remembering something different from reality. And I promise you, my message today is not about the Mandela effect. I, I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I do not believe there's a massive government plot to, to mess with your mind, nor do I think there's an alternate universe leaking into ours. I don't think. So, uh, but I do believe it is fascinating. It's fascinating to me how we have a tendency to twist things in our head, how, remember things just incorrectly. But when the truth, when the reality is presented, then you're just like, oh, it changes things. So what I wanted to do today is to take a moment, and for those of you who are not aware, to explain what it is we as Christians are called to believe. And for some of you, it might be this aha moment. It might be, like, oh, okay, I get it now. For those of you who are aware, my goal here is just to remind you of this amazing truth, because, because when the reality is presented, just like the dwarves singing that they're happy to go home, not necessarily that they're happy to go to work. Or when the rationale is presented, like C-3PO's silver leg being intended to allude to a history beyond the movies. 
get to see the beauty of truth. And here's a truth for us as Christians. See, it is this, Jesus, who is simultaneously the Son of God and who is a son of a carpenter, son of man, who died and then was bodily resurrected. Not not like a zombie kind of thing. Now, Jesus was made alive when he was once dead with a perfected body. Now, a perfected body that still included the scars from his torturous death, but was still a body made perfect, living forever. And this is so we have hope for the saints. That's the truth. At the heart, the very heart of who we are as Christians is this reality, that Jesus Christ, who we, uh, who on this Resurrection Sunday rose from the dead, and everything changed. Now, this might just be me, <clears throat> but when I was growing up as a kid, cartoons really informed my life and my reality, my understanding. So my view of heaven and of angels and those types of things, it was more shaped by Looney Tunes than it was from my time in the pews. And so I truly believe that one day I'd be floating around in the clouds with wings on my back like that Pixar movie soul, and I'd be playing a harp, kicking back, eating potato chips all day long. And, and just so you know, the potato chips is not from the Bible. That's just my view of heaven. But it's not. That's not what, view, what heaven is. On this Resurrection Sunday, on this Easter morning, Jesus came back with his body. He was perfected and scarred. And that's what will be true for those who call Jesus their Savior. So what I want to do today, as I said, on this Easter Sunday, Resurrection morning, is for some of you consider and for others remember why this truth of Jesus' bodily resurrection is needed, what it means, and how we should react to it. What, why, what, and how. And I want to start off by looking at verses 21 and 22 that was read to look at why Jesus had to come back in a new bodily form. In verse 21 it says, For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Now my day job, and for those of you who are joining us for the first time, uh, I'm what's considered a bivocational or co-vocational pastor. So I have a day job. My day job is in tech. I'm not a coder or anything, but, but there's this thing that I've learned that happens among developers. So when a developer has to write new code, they have to merge it with the rest of the code. This is called doing a build. Okay? And if you broke the build, what we would do is we'd make you put money into a jar, which we'd use later to buy beer or something like that. So you break the build, you buy the beer. That was our motto at our, uh, my old company. Because it would typically be by a single person that the build was broken. And as a result, we all bore the weight of that brokenness. I'll tell you, that's as far as I'm going to go with that analogy because it really does start falling apart from a tech perspective very quickly after that. But this is the point of this. Death was introduced by, as Paul writes here, the failure of one person. Adam introduced this. Sin. In the beginning, a person decided to focus their eyes on themselves rather than on God. A human decided to prioritize his desire over God's plan. I'm not going to go into a discussion about Eve's role or, or, or try to do the, you know, talk about the patriarchal aspects of this. It's not my intent, nor was, was it Paul's. 
But the point here is that humanity as a whole, everyone, children, women, men, all have been impacted because of a broken will. All are going to die. Death was introduced into this world because of sin and death, which is separation from God. It impacts every single one of us. Whether you're rich or poor, black or white, Asian, Latinx, death will come. As in Adam, all die. This is, this is the why. This is why God decided to include in his master plan his son coming down to be with us, his, his creation, and to suffer excruciating pain, to cry out, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, my God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? And die. And then come back. Because by doing this, all will be made alive. By doing this, by resurrecting from the dead, Jesus killed death. People still die. Yeah, I, I understand that. And we're, we're in this time between Jesus' resurrection and his return. This period that, that, that we call the already, but not yet. See, the victory over death, the removal of that chasm between us and God, the the restoring of what once existed before the build was broken, that's in process. And we can see glimpses of this coming to fruition in moments like today where we actually are able to gather once again in person, when we can catch it out of the corner of our eyes, when, when our community is able to practice true religion by caring for the vulnerable, we see the future glory of the upside-down kingdom when our sisters and our brothers in Christ live lives that honor God. But until that final day, some of the brokenness of this world is going to continue on. And we're going to feel like crying out, my God, my God, why, why have you forsaken me? And he'll say, I haven't. I'm here. I'm right here. See, my son's already taken care of, took care of all this for you. Just hold on a minute. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, but so also as in Christ shall all be made alive. The second question I want to present to you today is this. What does it mean? What does it mean that by Jesus' resurrection I am made alive? For this, I want to turn to uh, verses 13 to 19 of today's passage. Let me read to you, starting with verse 13. It says this, But if there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your, your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God. Because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You're still in your sins. Then also, then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most I, I, I want to provide a little context, a little backstory here. Paul is responding to a group of folks who are, who are saying that the resurrection of the, of the body is not a thing. 
this group basically believed that the, the body is just bad, you know, that the body is evil. Humanity must do everything it possibly can to separate itself from the body. So as a result, this group was sharing and preaching that resurrection is it's not a body thing. It's not a bodily thing. They were saying that the body is much more ephemeral. They, the, it's the soul that lasts forever. It's the image I shared earlier of me floating in the heavens with wings and potato chips. It's, it's, it's the Apostle Paul's response. And, and here we see it, his response to that is to point out everything that would be true. It's the foundation of our faith. If the resurrection of Jesus in bodily form, if the resurrection of Jesus in body, if that's not true, we've got a problem. See, if, if Jesus didn't go to Thomas, one of his disciples that just couldn't believe that Jesus' body was real. He, he figured that Jesus, at best, it was, was a ghost. If Jesus didn't go to Thomas and say, hey, touch the holes that the spikes made. If Jesus did not sit down with his disciples on the beach to have a meal. If none of that happened, we've got a problem. If the resurrection of the body is not a thing that everything that we've been doing I'll be honest with you, as I was preparing for day, today, that, that's a scary thought, in all fairness. Much, much of my life, adult life with my wife, Suzette, we've been dedicated to learning and growing in the truth of Jesus' resurrection and the impact on our lives. Our marriage, after she became a Christian, our marriage is based on this truth. Our, our devotion to our community, our diligence in helping the vulnerable children, uh, the orphans in Zambia through Beloved's partnership with Hands at Work in Africa. All of this is based on the truth that Jesus resurrected from the dead. Not just in spirit, but literally was raised from the dead. And, and, and so if everything I base my life on is not true, if it's all based on a lie, then I am truly a person to be most pitied. So considering the question at hand, what does it mean that by Jesus' resurrection I'm made alive? I think for Paul, the first step was to assure his listeners, his readers, that there is and was a bodily resurrection. Uh, back in our Hebrew sermon series, we learned about faith. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, it says that faith is the reality of what is hoped for and the evidence or the proof of what is not seen. Faith is never intended to be a blind thing. Faith is an informed thing. Faith in the resurrection of Jesus and the redemption of his act on the cross that it provides for me, that, that faith is based on the evidence of history and the evidence of the transformation I've seen in myself and in the life, lives of God's elect, of God's beloved. I mean, if we look at verses 3 to 8 of this same passage, Paul reminds his listeners of the evidence of history here. He says, Starting in verse 3, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, and then he appeared to more than 500 brothers and sisters at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. And then he appeared to James and then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also unto me. 
Paul. Paul is giving eyewitness accounts that include Peter or Cephas, or also known as the rock, um, to disciples, the other disciples, to 500 other people, and to Paul himself, women and men who could attest to the reality of a bodily resurrection. See, our faith is based on the evidence of history. And our faith is also based on the transformational work of the Holy Spirit, the evidence of that transformation in his beloved. You know, you see it in Paul's transformation. He went from being a punisher of Christians to a pursuer of Christ. We see it in the lives of our sisters and brothers who who constantly give themselves for the sake of the gospel. Paul even gets into the the evidence of the Christian experience uh, being the evidence of a resurrection in verses 29 to 34. I, I do want to read to you just a short snippet in verses 30 to 32. I want to read to you from a different translation. It's called The Passion. It's a lot of fun to read. It's a paraphrase. But I love what it says. It says in verse 30 to 32, why, why would we be risking our lives every day? My brothers and sisters, I continually face death. This is as sure as my boasting of you and our, and our co-union together in the life of our Lord Jesus Christ who gives me confidence, confidence to share my experiences with you. Tell me, why, why did I fight wild beasts in Ephesus if my, my hope is in this life only? What was the point of that? See, Paul's transformation, his experience and his faith led him to daily put his life on the line for the sake of the gospel. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the convictions of things not seen. Faith is knowing that the reality of what is hoped for is based on the evidence, the proof of what has happened and what is happening. What is happening in this realm and what is happening in the eternal. What it means that Christ was raised from the dead for you and me, the impact is seen in verses 13 through 19. It says there, if Christ has not been raised from the dead, then our preaching is in vain and and your faith is in vain. But he is risen. Christ has been raised, so our faith is not in vain. If Christ has not been raised from the dead, preachers, apostles, Christian leaders, we're all liars because we're misrepresenting God because we testify that God raised Jesus. But he is risen. Christ has been raised from the dead, so the apostles of old, they were not lying. If if Christ has not been raised from the dead, our faith is futile. We're still in our sins. But he has risen. Christ has been raised from the dead. Our faith is not futile. We no longer wallow in our sins. If Christ has not been raised from the dead, then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. He has risen. Christ has been raised from the dead. So, so, so these sisters and brothers in Christ who have gone before us, We will meet them once again in eternity in the upside-down kingdom that Jesus is preparing for us right now. See, if Christ has not been raised from the dead, then we are of all people most to be pitied. But he is risen. Christ is raised from the dead. No need to pity us at all. He is risen indeed. Because Jesus, the Son of God, Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior of the world, the chief shepherd, the bread of life, because Jesus came back from the dead, the chasm between God and you, between God and me, between God and us, it is 
insurmountable. It no longer separates us from God. The build is no longer broken because, because Jesus came back from the dead. The world that God had always intended from the very beginning, the one before the build got broken by Adam, the one where everything from the animals to the environment to the people lived perfectly in harmony with each other, with, with one purpose, to glorify God, to revel in his majesty. Because Jesus came back from the dead, this is what we have ahead of us. This is what we have to look forward to. This, this is what it means that by the resurrection of Jesus, I am made alive. And the last question I want to answer is, you know, how do I, how do I respond to this truth? You know, Jesus came. He allowed himself to be killed in our stead, in our place. Jesus came back from the dead so that one day we would all be able to do the same. And Jesus now reigns forever so that we might spend eternity with him, with our Heavenly Father, with, with the Holy Spirit in perfect communion. So how should I, how should we respond to this truth? And to answer that question, I want to read to you from verse 58. To answer it. And I want to read to you from a version of the Bible called this Christian Standard Bible. And there it says this, it says, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the Lord's work, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. The first thing Paul is recommending that in regards to our response to the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ is to realize that, that a decision to believe in the redemptive power of Christ's resurrection, to say that you want to be restored into a fellowship with the Father in heaven because of the work of the Son on earth, when this happens, number one, you become part of a new family. Starts out, my dear brothers and sisters. And there are going to be members of that family, honestly, that you might not necessarily like, but you will love. My dear sisters and brothers, you know, you don't get to choose your siblings, you don't get to choose your parents, but they are your family. My dear brothers and sisters. That bond and family exists in spite of the bitterness, in spite of the anger, the failures. Let me give you an example. I do not always agree with the decisions my little brother makes for his life, nor do I necessarily always get along with him, nor do I always like him. But I will always love him. And if by some miracle my little brother actually happens to be listening, um, I actually do like you, so we're fine. So the very first thing to consider in response to the truth of the resurrection is this, recognizing that you belong to family, a different family. The second thing is this, our response to the resurrection, it must include emotion, but cannot only be emotional. See, our response includes a willful, intentional decision to act. Be steadfast, be immovable, excel as Christians. You know, here's the thing. We are not called to always be happy, though that would be awesome. Now, I'm not negating the importance or the value of emotional health. Don't, don't misunderstand. It is absolutely important. God created joy. God created laughter. God created contentment. But these are the results 
of a life lived for Christ. These are not the things that we are called to live for. Here's the thing. I, I, I truly believe that Christianity is a, Christianity is a faith of nuances. You know, for example, I believe that God intends us to be happy. I do. But we achieve that by living for God, not for happiness. I believe that God intends for us to live out our faith through good works. But we do that as a response to God's amazing transformative work in our lives. We do not do good works to be transformed. We're called to live out works. We're not called to live for works. So when I say this, I'm not saying things like songs like Pharrell's Happy is a bad song. You may not like it, but you know it's not sacrilegious or anything like that. Rather, that we are called to willful obedience to God so that we might have emotional healthiness. Now, there's a saying that says, only dead fish go with the flow. It's the live ones that swim against the stream. It's only those who are living in Christ that can choose to go against the priorities of culture and swim towards the open arms of God. It's only the ones who willfully live to obey and follow God that will swim against things like cancel culture, that will swim against ghosting to avoid conflict, that will swim against blasting others on social media without mercy. Our response to the truth of the resurrection is to make a choice and to recognize that we have a new family. Those are the first two. The final thing I want to mention in regards to our response to the resurrection is to have hope. See, the willful obedience of Jesus to God's plan, my humble submission to a life that strives to be more Christ-like, these are things that are not in the life I choose, the, the struggles I face, the, the promise I have from the gospel, the, from God, it's not fruitless. My life is not pointless. It's not meaningless. My, my life, if I strive to be steadfast in my faith, immovable in my devotion, excelling in my good works because the Spirit of God has transformed me, it is not pointless. We have hope. One day we will sing that death has been swallowed up in the victory that Christ has given us. Death has no more sting. Death has no more bite. Death has no more claim on me. I'm going to ask the worship team. You guys can go ahead and make your way back up. I want to close. I want to close by reading the chorus of a worship song. It's called uh, This I Believe, or also known as The Creed. And I, let me explain that the creed, a creed is a formal statement, a belief, a proclamation of what one lives by, like uh, the Apostles' Creed. Some of you know the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father, Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and Jesus Christ, the only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the whole, and I'm not going to do the whole thing. Anyway, I, I started off today's message um, by pointing out misremembered truths, something that's permeated much of common memory. My goal was to present you the actual truth of what it is we believe as Christians, why we believe it, and, and what to do about it as a result. What I want to do is I want to sum up what we believe by reading the chorus of this song. It simply goes, I believe in God, our Father. I believe in Christ, the Son. I believe in the Holy Spirit. Our God is three in one. I believe in the resurrection, that we will rise again. I believe 